What's the password? <laughs> Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button. Hello and welcome to the Game Master's Speakeasy. Whether you are a game master or a player or someone who even has just a fleeting interest in tabletop games, please come in, grab a seat, grab a drink. Today's bartender is Gorak the Barbarian. Uh, my name is Cody. And I'm Lance. We are your hosts. We are both game masters. That is the, the referee guy. You know, if you know anything about tabletop games, you know, most of them involve... A bunch of players hanging out together, and then one person who has to arbitrate the rules. And both Lance and I are, in fact, Game Masters. And we are here to talk to you today about tabletop games. One of my most favorite things on the planet. What about you? Yeah, it's definitely my favorite thing to do. <laughs> uh, I don't know. If you haven't tuned into the last episode, we get into that a little bit. So go <laughs> we, ahead. If you haven't seen yeah, the last episode... Go back and listen to that and then come back to this one. Yeah, you'll, you'll understand exactly why we like it so much. Or at least you'll have a better idea. We did a whole episode on it, so... <laughs> a whole episode. Uh, so how are you doing today, Bill? I'm doing good. How are you? I am peachy keen. I am Peachy Keen, and I am here to talk to you today. Uh, the Tay's topic, uh, we're going to talk about our creative process. Okay. Because both you and I are game masters, and don't and stop right there. If you're a player, don't leave yet. Uh, no, no, you can hang out for this. Yeah, you can hang out. Uh, we're we, gonna, are, we are going to talk a little bit about the creative process of making characters as well. Yeah, we're going to so. talk about making characters. Mm. We're going to talk about how you can help your game master involve your character, because... One thing that we have learned as playing tabletop games is that while you can just hang out and play games and invade dungeons, it's a very beer and pretzels style of play. A lot of play this these days, people are um, mimicking what they see online, and it's less about clearing rooms and more about telling a greater narrative arc, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and every good character should have a good character arc. Every every good character should have an well, every good most good characters should have an arc, but they should all at least have good motivations. That's very true. But to get started off, uh, we're going to talk about a little bit of news. Um, there's not a lot. I don't, I don't have a lot. I have a couple things. Uh, right now, by the time this episode airs, it might not be uh, relevant, but I still encourage you to go check it out because who does not like a good top 10 list? Uh, N-World right now, the, the link will be down below in the description of the episode where you can go to N-World, which is a forum for tabletop related things, and you can take, uh, there's a discussion right now where a person is taking nominations for the most anticipated game of 2022. Oh, nice. Yes, and it's a, it's a, it's a good way to learn about uh, other systems. You know, like if you, I'm looking, I'm, I got the last year's one pulled up, most anticipated games of 2021, which actually a game called Twilight 2000 was tied with Dune Adventures in the Imperium, which I do have Dune. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Dune yeah, universe, the, yeah. but I'm a recent fan. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have read the book. I've read the first novel um, after I get caught up. I'm going to, I'm rereading Wheel of Time right now, mm -hmm. but once I re finish that and, and basically the pattern I'm doing is every two books of Wheel of Time, I'm going to reread or read something else just to break it up. I don't gotcha. want to read 14 books in the same world <laughs> in a row. Weird. I'm about two thirds of the way through the audiobook for Dune. Oh, nice. Uh, so no, no spoilers. No, no. Yeah, no spoilers, but Dune is an amazing book. And ever since I read it, it, it became my favorite sci-fi novel. It is, it easily. is a really good sci-fi setting. It's not for everybody, but I would be incredibly interested in running Dune Adventures in the Imperium, which we have talked a little bit about before. Yeah, previous um, episodes. It run, runs on the 2D20 system. It would be very heavy in intrigue and politics. Uh, so, you know, if your players are interested in that sort of thing, that's a good system to check out. But you can go follow that link, uh, even if, even if you're not, even if you're late to the party, you can follow that link and check out what people are excited for. Um, and then here's something that's news to me. Um, there is a game right now, Chaosium, I believe, is in charge of it. Chaosium is the company that is, I believe, also responsible for Call of Cthulhu. That sounds right. Uh, Chaosium, uh, they make Call of Cthulhu, but there's a game that has been around since... 1985, I think, uh, which is called uh, I think it's I think it's just called Pendragon is the name of it. I was in short pants back then, man. <laughs> Even I was young when that five, happened. Five years before I was born uh, is when this game first came out, and uh, so Pendragon is on this list, I think, of 
games that are coming out in 2021, which is something that I didn't know. King Arthur... Oh, it's King Arthur Pendragon 6th Edition. Uh, and it's... This is a system I've only learned about recently. And it's a it's exactly what you would think. It's about playing Arthurian knights. It's a game where, you know, in D&D you can play a knight, you can play a paladin, but it's still like, here's your tenets, here's the rules for playing a paladin, go out, smite evil. Whereas in this game system, there's a lot more court and intrigue and actual, like, social stuff. So probably less magic. Not no magic, because, I mean, Merlin's probably a part of that whole I shindig. assume. It's Arthurian fantasy, mm. right? So there's probably some magic. But you're more, you're you're probably not playing the wizard. I think it is about playing the knights. Okay. You're, you're about, it's like you're playing a group of knights in this time period. And um, there was a, a thread on Reddit, which uh, maybe I'll, maybe we can go put that link in the, in the description too, but where people were talking about the best pre-made adventures of all time. And someone talks about the great Pendragon campaign as being one of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, they also talk about uh, the evil within, which is, I believe a Warhammer fantasy one. There's a couple, there's a couple for, there might, I think I saw Deadlands on the list too. There might be one for Deadlands. There were plenty for various game systems, but Pendragon, I, I don't know if it's one I'd actually want to run. I feel like that's something personally, I'd be very interested in being a player mm -hmm. at, is playing a knight and having to worry about, Excuse me. The the code of chivalry. <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. We're uh, we're laughing because we actually we we talked our, with our producer about how we burp in his ears. Poor yeah, guy. That's a thing. <laughs> and we're apparently not the only ones in the uh, record button that, that do that. Yes, yes. I, I believe our uh, our our peers in why did I write this are also responsible for such behavior. Yes, for burping in in, in our wonderful producer's ears. <laughs> Where he's literally rolling his eyes at us right now. But yes, uh, back to it. Pendragon, uh, King Arthur's Pendragon is a system that is, that's news to me. I've never heard of it before. Um, and something, sometimes these things happen, you know, out of everyone in our, we kind of, as far as role players go, our group of six or seven regular players, we kind of, I'm kind of like the only person that reaches out beyond what we're currently doing. Mm -hmm. You know, we, even you don't worry too much about other systems it's not a... Uh, I largely rely on you to tell me what other systems are interesting enough that I should pay attention to, and then I usually look into them, and I'm almost universally impressed with whatever you give me, so... Yeah, you you know a lot more about Shadowrun and Deadlands than me, mm -hmm. obviously, because that's what you ran for years and years yep. and years and years. But the as far as paying attention to the RPG subreddit or various other forums like NWorld or RPGnews.com, uh, I have a great interest in paying attention to what's happening, mm -hmm. uh, at least to a higher degree than our cell. And, uh, th and I think that this, this would be one of those games where if we gauged the right interest, um, I would be interested in running it. I'd be, think I'd be more interested in being a player, but after we wrap up our one through 20, uh, campaign that mm -hmm. focuses that's taking place in the Forgotten Realms, even though we're switching it to Pathfinder 2 mechanically. Mm -hmm. uh, after I finish that campaign, I'd be interested maybe in running one of these so so called quote unquote uh, famous pre made adventures okay. because that's a weak link in my own uh, toolbox of being a game master. Is I am not experienced or good at running pre written adventures. I. I've done a lot of pre-written adventures and I've always found that even reading through the adventure front to back two or three times, I always end up missing some key detail while like in the moment of the game and oh. then have to improvise my way around whatever my screw up was at the time. So I'm kind of reticent to, to push those adventures. I tend to, if I'm going to lean into them, I lean into like the big game changing ones. Like oh, yeah. when it comes to Deadlands, I've run the Devil's Tower trilogy several times but a lot of the other smaller adventures I've just stayed away from. Not because they're not great. They're phenomenally well-written and they're cool stories. But because they're not setting-changing, I feel like I'm going to just do a better job of running my own stuff mm -hmm. than I am trying to run theirs. So rather than kind of kind of bumble my way through those setting or those those books, it's just kind of like, well, if it's not going to change the overall set the, the overall story arc of the setting... I might as well just keep running my own stuff. Which is fine. And we'll actually talk about later this episode how you can use adventure books in your homebrew. Yeah, because, absolutely. Because we're going to talk today about our creative processes. Pro processes 
the way we do things. <laughs> uh, so let's see. What have we done? Have you done anything? Uh, we, we haven't had a lot going on, but have you done anything? Have you done any miniature-related things? Any tabletop-related prep or things? Um, actually, what I have been doing, at least as far as miniatures have gone, I have started drilling holes in my little mech miniatures and adding oh, magnets yes. to them. That's good. I am because excited. I, as if, you know, if you've been listening to our podcast, you know that we do play a bi-weekly, weekly-ish Lancer game. And, Lancer uh, being a mecha. Yeah. TTRPG. And I have this uh, propensity, especially being... A proclivity, if yeah, you will. Yeah, I, I tend to, like, when we do the research on the mission that we're doing, I will change my mech's entire loadout to accommodate that. I don't know if everybody else in our group is doing quite that that, that to get there, but, like, for I me... I think that this last session, it finally clicked for them that that, that was a thing that you, you were not only encouraged to do, but are supposed to do. Yeah, and so when I go through... and probably more due to some level of OCD than anything else. I feel like I want my miniatures to always at least reasonably reflect what my mech looks like. So I have uh, I have started taking uh, between Dremel tools and little tiny magnets that I bought. I'm trying to build uh, a mech miniature that I can just snap on and off various weapons and pieces in order to have it reflect what my loadout is totally unnecessary but it's it's really nice to have because um even though i never even though i'm guilty of never completely finishing my in my imperial guard army (laughs) i did the same thing with my uh, lehman russes did you yeah where where you snap on snap snap on the can and he's like oh you want to change your army list having that magnet uh having the magnetized miniature is nice and I'm not gonna lie. I am kind of lazy sometimes. I like to paint, but I, man, I even I have not even done a lot of it lately, but and that is to say the last two months. But I'm guilty of using tokens a lot for yeah. for enemy for enemy miniatures. Right? There's you know you got your one, two, three little wooden chips that are circular. You guys have your nice painted hero miniatures, which is great. And then it's like, oh, number one is a kobold, number two is a goblin. All right, just remember that. But it is a lot nicer, even if they're unpainted to having miniatures on the board. Well, and see, the nice thing about this whole magnet project for me is that I can only have to paint this mech one time. That's true. Like, once yeah. once I've gotten it figured out and I've got all the magnets in place and I've got all the various weapons and things like that, because if I haven't talked to you guys about 3D printing before, I do a lot of that. I have two 3D printers, and I would much rather just mass print the crap out of a whole different ton of mechs and, and mess with them. But the problem is I could make a different mech variant for every mech variant that I would use in-game. Then I have to paint all of them. Hey, so this way I can paint one and just snap weapons on them. Do you have any advice for the people at home who want to use uh, <laughs> to use rocks in their in their terrain? Okay. As, as scattered terrain? All right. So <laughs> Cody has given me a lot of crap right now that I absolutely deserve. So a couple of years ago when... This is our funny story for the night. A um, couple yeah. of years yeah, ago... Yeah, we're only allowed the one. Yeah, when... We, <laughs> when we went through and we were doing a lot of terrain building, because this was really kind of right after I'd gotten into 3D printing, and I was like, this is really cool. We've got the battle map that we used for 5e at the time. And I thought, there's no reason that we shouldn't have a whole bunch of cool terrain. So yeah. I went out and bought wooden dowels. I was making trees. I was spray painting them with brown texture paint. I was doing all kinds of cool stuff like that. And I thought, you know what I need? I need some rocks. Yeah, yeah, you need some rocks, some boulders, some nice rocky scatter terrain. So I have I have some woodworking tools in my garage. I've done a bit of woodworking. I even built this a gaming table, actually. Um, it's nice. And I so I, I'm using these the saw and I'm carving pieces of wood <laughs> into the shape of rocks <laughs> and then sanding them further uh-huh. into the shape of rocks and then I'm spraying them with like gray texture paint. Yeah, so that they look like rocks. I have a pile of rocks that are made that are out of wood. Made out of wood. Yeah, and, and you know what you could have done? It dawns on me after I finish this stupid little project of mine that I could have just bought a bag of, you know, medium-sized rocks. You could have just gone and gotten rocks. I could have went to the hard. I could have went to the hardware store into the lawn and garden section and just you could have gone down the rocks. bike trail I, to the yeah, river no, I, we live by. Went out in the back alley and just you know just grab a handful yeah, of rocks. Nope, it, that occurred to me after the fact. So hey, Lance's but, idiot moment was making wooden rocks the size of regular rocks. I mean, it, this wasn't like I was uniquely sizing these things. These right. were just. Randomly assorted yeah. wood at, at shape. The, at the end, at the end of the day, they looked like monotone rocks. They did. They just, they were just 
Gray rocks. Yeah. They were gray rocks made out of wood. The only okay. advantage is they're lighter than carrying real rocks around. So I'm you've an been, idiot. You've been, <laughs> hey, we all learn from our mistakes. And we've talked about that in a previous episode. <laughs> you go back and listen to that episode, mm. our worst GM mistakes. Well. Yep. Uh, so... Well, God, so you, that's what you did. You did mini-related stuff. Um, I have been busy doing the legwork because if, if we're going... The, I kind of looked at it like this. We made it to 16th level in 5e, and then we, we took a break last November in 2020. God, it's been a year? It's been, it's been over a year Ooh. now since we have played the Faerun Victor campaign. Victor being the big bad evil guy. He's like an a, evil wizard. He's a dick. It's not you know, not important. The point is it's our <laughs> it's our Forgotten Realms campaign and we were playing it in 5th edition and I just have a hard time wanting to run it again because I am currently enthralled with Pathfinder 2. And if you know what? If you still love 5e, more power to you. I crave uh, the... I, I really enjoy and crave the mechanics of Pathfinder 2. I like it. I like it a lot. But... Um, and... I was not met with an, any major pushback. You guys were either uh, cool with it or neutral with it. Indifferent about, to it. Yeah, or, you know, about moving your characters mechanically from 5th edition to Pathfinder 2. Which uh, I will actually talk a little bit about this later too because it has kind of has to do with today's topic. But um, I'm doing a lot of the legwork of moving your characters over. And then this upcoming—that's probably why you didn't get a lot of pushback. Well, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, true. If, if I had to, if I had to forcibly convert a what level 16, 15, level sixteen character, sixteen, well, seventeen if you're Ulrich, yeah, because yeah. he got real lucky I don't want to talk with the about deck. That. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if I were forced to convert that character from five E to Pathfinder, I might have pushed back a little bit, just, mm. just because that just seems like a lot of work. But. It is. It's it's a lot of work, but I'm also learning a decent amount about these classes too, mm-hmm. uh, and. The legwork I'm doing is I'm making Google Drive documents where I, for those of you that have spell lists, I'm moving you guys over, you know, trying to find spells that are close enough to the ones that you had. Your character, unfortunately, you you used the third-party spell books more than anyone else, so there are not a whole lot of... Uh, there's not a whole lot of one-on-one picks for mm-hmm. them, so uh, you're going to have. To, I'm, I'm going to ask of you that you peruse at a number of spells at each spell level to go through and pick some new cho- new choices. If there are any spells that you really don't want to let go, I can homebrew them, but mm-hmm. I'm, I am reticent to do. I that. will do my best to make sure that yeah. I don't put any more work on your shoulders than you are. I have. will say that I am incorporating. Eldritch Blast. Thank in, God. In in some shape or form. Thank you, so, so that you have the best cantrip out of the party at the very least. Yes, thank you, Shmora. Well, it's it's hard because Pathfinder does not have any close equivalent to a warlock. Yeah. Thematically, the witch is close. The witch is great for the the, the Them, flavor of the thematically. Class. Yeah, the thematically, the witch is fantastic right. for it. Unfortunately, mechanically, mechanically yeah, yeah it's so mechanically, the playtest psychic actually comes the closest. Does it? So yeah, but it's w- weird question. Is Eldritch Blast going to be a... It'll be an actual spell. Well, what I mean, is it going to be a cantrip, or is it going to be one of the uh, focus spells? Ooh, uh, right now it's a cantrip. I mean, because if it comes out as too powerful as a cantrip, I could see it being a focus spell. Because what, it's what, like 10 minutes rest to get focus points back? Usually, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, at the level I'm at, I'd still be able to get good use out of it. Right now it's a cantrip. Okay. And I don't think, as the current cantrip it is, that it's going to break the game. You guys are, we're jumping into the final tier. Yeah, we're we're already going to be overpowered. You're going to be 16. Uh, You guys are going to have lots of magic items. Um, Don't get me wrong, I like Pathfinder for the balance, but the way I've got... The way I have incorporated Eldritch Blast mm. is very simple. Yeah. Uh, it's just going to be like an augmented uh, telekinetic projectile. So okay. it's going to be longer range, uh, one better die type, and then it's going to do force damage. Okay. So it's not that's not too bad, I don't think. Okay. And if anything, I might look at your 5e invocations mm-hmm. and find a way to, if you had any that buffed Eldritch Blast, mm. might incorporate that over. Uh, but regardless, I have just been doing the work to prepare for our not a session zero because these are not the first time you played these characters mm-hmm. some you guys have played some of these characters for multiple years yeah <laughs> uh and so we're going to have a session 0.5 where we get together we review the changes i have made to your character sheets to incorporate them into pathfinder 2 and we're going to do maybe some fake combats uh, we're gonna try and refresh each other's memories about what was going on in the campaign and we're gonna put we're gonna finish this stuff we are we're very lucky. I don't know if you 
realize this, but so few groups get to run a game from levels 1 through 20 oh, in yeah. D&D. And I'm going to count this. Even though we're switching systems, it counts. Well, I mean, you know, the, I would say the, the closest equivalent that you could get for the, the 20 level system in Deadlands is having five grit and having oh. stone come murder your characters. Yeah. And, I mean, as many years as I ran Deadlands, I can still count on two hands the number of times, number of characters total. No, oh, total characters. That have even okay. made it that far. I mean, most campaigns don't make it to five grit. Unfortunately not. Yeah, you know. no, most campaigns don't make it to level 20, and uh, most campaigns don't make it to five grit, which it's usually a scheduling thing. Yeah. Right? I, I, from what I can see and read online, it's usually because life changes you know mm. these games can last these stories can last a year and a half to two years oh yeah or longer you know some people have had the same campaign going since the 80s yeah. there are people out there that are still running yeah they, they might they might retire characters and they might be the characters mm -hmm. like children or something but like that setting or, has but continued. the setting and the canon is the same That's... and they've been running the same game with the same group of friends for like 20 years and boy wouldn't that be awesome I mean, yes, I've never even got a campaign close to that length, but... Right, and so, you know... I'm just glad that some of my players have lasted that long. I mean, Dan's been playing with me oh, you pretty guys... much that whole time. I mean, he's he's got as much time under table games almost as I do. And he has no problem switching systems because no. uh, he's more interested in the story. He, yeah, he, he, he likes to roleplay. He, he wants for him... to beat Ulrich, who is a boisterous paladin and he wants to stop victor and it does not it to him it really doesn't matter what the rules are he just wants to play that story out. yeah thankfully anyway that's a uh, excuse me I, i'm very gassy now that was, uh, that was the extended news section yeah the extended news <laughs> and recent happening section uh so why don't you tell us what we are drinking today. Let's let's crack it open for the open segment. Well, I am enjoying a can of uh, the Slingshot Dark Lager Dunkel from Back Pocket Brewing. Um, that's a local one. It is fairly, relatively. And it is, it is... It is, in fact, from the Midwest. It is. It is, in fact, from the Midwest. And it is a very... Uh, very tasty dunkel. It is. It is as, as advertised a dark lager. If you pour it into a glass, you're going to get you get some, some dark out of it. But... Uh, it's it's just an all around good dunkel. Mm. I mean, when you when you're talking about that that style of beer, it doesn't uh, it doesn't do anything too weird. I was gonna say you're you're better at this than I am. What exactly is a dunkel? Like, what's the what's the characteristics? Um, of that? I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't know the exact. Like, I know it when I taste it, but I don't know how. Right, I you, would... you you taste one, and you're like, that's a dunkel. Yeah, but you don't know the nest. That's fine. You don't know the necessary verbiage. Like, oh, the difference between an I mean, ale I mean, and a pilsner is blank. Even, even even a dark lager is kind of a light beer for me. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, for me, I want I want I want beer you can't see light through. If you put it to a light, I'm, I'm more of a stout and a, a porter kind of guy. Because yeah, isn't it isn't the difference between um, an ale and a lager like at what temperature they were brewed at certain points in the process or something like that? I mean, that's probably part of it. I mean, a lot of it's just the different kind of hops and uh, and grains that they use for it. All right. So, how would you describe this flavor to the best of your ability? I'm going to challenge you. Um, it's robust and it has kind of a caramely note to it. It lacks the um, it lacks the kind of chocolate and espresso notes that you would find in something like a something like a stout. Right. But it, it, it does carry a lot of that kind of kind of caramel flavor with with lighter hops. Not definitely not as like hoppy as an IPA, but. But like, there's definitely some some little hint of that in there. I'm not a big IPA guy, but we'll, I'm, we'll try some eventually. I'm hit or miss with them. It really depends. Some of them are excellent, and then some of them taste like stale beer. That's actually why I I because I'm the one that picked it up today. Yep, uh, I picked it up because courtesy of Cody. We we talked about how uh, we'd been drinking a lot of dark beers, so I thought maybe we'd change it up a little bit, not get a stout or a porter. So that's why I got a dunkel. This is still dark enough to be a good winter beer, and that's what's important. Yes, because dark dark beers are better in the winter time. Tis the season. Tis, Tis the season. It, we've got snow on the ground here. In the Midwest, uh, <laughs> I will. It's say, very ominous. I will say that uh, this seems like the kind of beer that if I were to go into a dwarvish tavern, this oh, is this yeah. is by yeah. the, the kind of thing they would have a big barrel of on tap. Dwarves will serve you lager a hundred percent of the time. Is Dunkel a lager? Yeah. Well, oh, this, okay. Oh, it, yeah. It, I'm it learning is, new it things. Is, every it is day. a dark lager. Dark lager. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. So yes, I feel like this is the kind of thing I would sing. Uh, you know. Songs about songs, songs about misty mountains or something. Too. You know, we'd, <laughs> we'd reminisce about good old days and 
ancient ancestors together. Uh, so moving on from this wonderful, delicious beer, uh, then we're going to talk about our creative processes today. We're going to talk about how we approach mostly prep work, but we're also going to touch on how players can help uh, or get involved in this thing. same thing with their own characters. Well, given that my creative process is probably considerably more chaotic than yours, why don't you go first? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I think I, it was I'm, a, I'm a mess. A couple years ago, I read a piece of advice. I think I, I might have mentioned it before, but I read a piece of advice in Stars Without Number by the author of that game system by the name of Kevin Crawford who has a lot of good advice in those books. I, I can't push it enough. Both Stars Without Number and Worlds Without Number have a lot of good Game Master advice and tools, even if it's not for your current system. But he talks about, if I'm remembering correctly, that the prep work you do should either be, one, for the next session you have coming up, or two, enjoyable in the moment. So you should never find yourself going through prep work and not enjoying it and have it be irrelevant to what you're doing. You should never force yourself to hate prep. And don't be wrong, as much as you like game mastering, sometimes it is a little bit of work. This is some advice I wish somebody had given me decades ago. I have an entire graveyard of half-finished campaigns because I would work so far in advance that my campaigns would collapse or fall apart, or my players would just take a different direction than the one that I'd intended, and, well, oh, look, I just, I, the last five sessions that I had prepped, well, we'll put them in this folder and hope we can reuse them later. I want to say, because we've talked about my first tabletop experience, mm -hmm. which was playing uh, playing with you guys in Deadlands Hell on Earth. I remember our good buddy Todd, who is who is working is with us. Is this about the carnival? This is kind of about the carnival, yeah. Uh, that was, that I, was I remember, the first thing that came to mind when I was talking about scrapped great ideas. If I remember correctly, he had, like, 32 pages of prep work oh, done yeah. for... That fantasy campaign he was running. Well, no, no, no. Well, I'm talking about... I think he had this for Deadlands. Oh, no, for his Hell on Earth. For was, Hell on Earth. Yeah, it was. That's I want right. to say for Hell on Earth, my first experience, he had like a 32-page packet yeah. of stuff. Like, that's what you can fit... It Like, you talk about old D&D adventures. They're about 32, 30, 35 pages mm -hmm. or something. That's a they, whole adventure. I don't think that and campaign had, lasted long enough for 35 pages worth no, of work. No, we were in and out of the area uh, in like two sessions. Yeah. It's it's so much. And, I, man, I hope he had fun doing it because he probably used 5% of I it. I mean, with that, that amount of effort, he should be writing his own settings. <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. That's And that's what you do. When you're enjoying it and it's not for the yeah. next session, you work on the, the greater setting. Because a lot of the time, um, so for example, I am starting you guys, I have started you guys in my homebrew world. Uh, in my homebrew world, I had to think about immediately what the area you're starting in and its surrounding area are like. I start on the micro scale and work mm -hmm. my way out. Um, that said, it's important if you're building your own world, there's a couple things that I like to approach first. One, does your world have gods? Because, you know, like D&D and Pathfinder, there are a couple classes that usually have, like, access to divine spells and divine powers, mm -hmm. and that usually comes from faith with a god. So, one, what are the gods like in your world? Two, what is the nature of magic? Once you have these two things figured out, then you only have to worry about the local area that the players are starting in. Yeah. So that's kind of what I focus on. Start start with the big picture things that weave the, the world itself together, whether they be the faith in the gods, how active the gods are in mortal lives. Uh, and this, this is generally, you know, this applies to fantasy games. If I was in a sci-fi game, it would be, you know, how big is the scope? What does space travel look like? Mm -hmm. These type of things. And a lot of systems have that baked in for you. But you can flavor it your own way if you want to. For example... Uh, you know, blink travel in Starfinder is about punching your way technically into a different dimension. But if you didn't like that, you could flavor it a different, a different way. way if you wanted yeah. to. Yeah. But I, I like to start small. This is, this is, I think, the way a lot of people approach it, is start with what you need to know first and then move out from there. As you guys have, you know, you I, I make the mayor... Yeah, I put a couple adventure hooks in there, especially if it's a sandbox. You need to know the surrounding area. If you're making what you might consider to be a quote-unquote pre-written adventure, but you are the one who's writing it, then you need to have at least the overarching idea 
of what you're doing. You also need to tell your players what the plan is. Mm -hmm. Do they want to play a pre-written kind of greater narrative arc, or do they just want to do sword and sorcery, pal around, explore the area, scope out dungeons, get the loot, and do whatever they feel like kind of game? Uh, so I, in general, I apply those two rules. You know, am I enjoying it, or does it apply to the next session? And then if I'm starting a campaign, it's usually take a look at the fabric that weaves the world together and what I need to know in the immediate area. Now, see, for mine, most of my experience in, in tabletop gaming has been using pretty tightly put together pre-generated settings. Okay. Um, not the pre-generated adventures necessarily, but like, for example, if you're looking at Shadowrun, which we've talked at length about, you know, my experience starting with Shadowrun. Shadowrun... There's source books that take you out of it, but most of Shadowrun takes place in Seattle. So it's a, it's a lot smaller sandbox to play in, but yes. it's a very dense sandbox. There's a lot going on in Seattle that just happens to be, you know, a fairly small area. So for my campaigns in Shadowrun, I kind of would um, do a basic outline of the things I wanted the, the characters to experience. Like, what kind of magical threats, or what kind of corporate threats. And then that would be the skeleton on which I would build the rest of the campaign on. That's that's very interesting. So you make sure that you have the themes of your campaign. Yeah. Plat, like, on your vision board. Well, wall, yeah, of, I mean, it's, it's kind of, because that is that is usually the, the source of my inspiration. So if there is a, um, a like, if I'm, if I'm going through the Shadowrun books, and I see this kind of specific conspiracy, or this specific corporate experiment or this specific magical phenomenon or something like that. And I'm like, man, that would be a cool thing to play with. Then that is kind of my starting point on the vision board. I want the players to experience this. Right. Now, okay. usually if you're starting a campaign, that's not where you want to open because usually the thing that gives you that inspiration, that spark is probably something the players shouldn't be screwing with right away. Anyway. Right. It's not the session one kind of. No. So device. you've got to lead into it now. Shadowrun, especially my, my old, old Shadowrun thing. It was a lot more like video gamey where it was basically just a quest hub kind of deal. It was like, Hey, I'm just going to keep throwing these kind of randomly assorted missions at them. And then every now and then they got, I'll put one in that might tie into the greater plot, but they're not going to realize it until that whole thread is weaved back to where they were going. Right. Um, with Deadlands, a lot of a lot of my my planning for stuff like that was more location based than anything else because Deadlands takes place in the American West. There's source books for what's east of the Mississippi, but the vast majority of the game takes place in Civil War time for a post, slightly post Civil War time frame um, in the American West. So a lot of my my planning for that would typically go into. What cool locations do I want them to go to? You know, and I've then, actually got a sense of that. Yeah. Playing, and, playing in Deadlands. And and so what I would do is I was like, okay, if this is the locations I want them to experience. Now go to the source books and find out what's going on in these locations that I can make cool plot points out of. Because, I mean, I always, I always liked the Old West for kind of the frontier feel. And if you're not actually out exploring the frontier, then what's the point? So, you know, take them to all the dusty little towns. Take them to the, the weird things going on in California. Take them take them into Arizona and have them find a circus that's really weird and then have the players go completely awry. That's a whole other story for me, babe. Take them to the weird things out in California. There is no war in bossing. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, here's... I, oh, let's see if... You, I'm going to ask if you remember it because I'm going to try and ask you about a specific scenario so we brought back my character james into the deadlands campaign yes at a moment where you the party the posse was in a graveyard and they were like up on a church surrounded by zombies i do remember that the the guy that was like and climbing the church to get away he from was the straight up the bell tower yeah hung, he was <laughs> hung was up the bell tower that's because right. hung climbs things uh his ability he had a special ability for that called monkey goes to the mountain or something yeah, basically like that. It, it would allow you to to kip up off of objects that wouldn't necessarily it's, be able to hold your weight or a real wushu movie type thing yeah, where you're like jumping cr off crouching tiger hidden dragon bouncing off jumping of stuff off to floating get up leaves obscene like heights yeah. yeah but um the the bad guy he had some sort of artifact or something right that was like controlling the, the undead. undead i think so uh, when you were trying to create that bad guy what kind of were you looking at for your inspirations 
or, or was it just were you drawing upon what you knew about western movies like tell me about if can you remember any of them um, that? Do, was he was was he an expendable bad guy did you guys end up killing him or was he, he a part of a greater greater part of the campaign we I'm ended up killing him but okay. here's something that interesting that only i know because you made an entire backstory for that guy and the and and if it wasn't for me opting to run deadlands no one from that group would ever know his backstory because it never came up. You let me read it. What was the backstory? Uh, he it had to do with his like uh, deceased wife and kids, I think. And he had some sort of uh, he was trying to use the artifact to either I don't know like resurrect them or get revenge or something like. That. I think it was a revenge story. Okay. Uh, there, you had a whole word document, and if it wasn't for me running Deadlands and you saying, "Hey, here's some here's, inspiration," here's, here's all my stuff. Uh, no, none of us would know about this. It would just be dead on your hard drive until we're all well. Just, you know, and I don't specifically remember that. I'm going to go home and go through my hard drive and see if I can remember. But surprisingly enough, I would do that for characters like yeah. NPCs, even if it was something that the player characters would probably never find out. I would always kind of go back and give them some motivation, and. I think that the reason that I did that is as a GM, it helped me better roleplay the character. If they, if their backstory was more than that of just a cartoonish or typical bad guy. And, and in a lot of cases, that information wasn't necessarily for the players to have. There was ways for them to discover it. I never, I would never have intentionally locked them out of that information if they did whatever, like, logical steps would have been required to do that. But yeah, I mean, I... That's actually a lot, and I would imagine that you have been drip-feeding us that with Victor, but I'm going to imagine that there's parts of Victor's backstory we'll never hear before the end of the game. Possibly, that, yeah. that you built so that you knew who Victor was, so that when Victor had to make decisions based on what we were doing, that he was making decisions that made sense within the confines of his background. A lot of it, you're, you're right. You're absolutely right. And But the difference between you and me is I keep a lot of it just up here yeah. in, my, in my noggin. I don't, I, don't, I, I, for, I don't do a lot of writing it down mm -hmm. unless I absolutely have to. Um, a lot of it I keep up in my head. But, the, but you're right. They do exist. And this is a very important facet of running tabletop games or playing in tabletop games that if you want to flesh out a character, I, we might've even talked about this in a previous episode where we talk about player engagement, but something that is very important to making engaging characters, whether they be NPCs or player characters, not NPCs, uh, non-player characters or player characters is that you've got to have motivations. Oh yeah, for sure. So, just like how your bad guy had... I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a revenge motivation. It, it probably was. Like I said, I'm going to go home and dig through that file, because I want to know which character Because it, it's been so long... I, I remember the scene. Like, I remember the graveyard. I remember the church. I remember Hung being up on... Like, climbing up the church to get away from them. But I don't remember a lot about the villain or the why. Yeah. But that's why I write it down, because to be honest with you, my memory's crap. Uh, so <laughs> th That's actually, oh, that's actually a good point that you brought up. Part of my creative process for NPCs is I straight up keep an Excel spreadsheet mm -hmm. of NPCs. There is a cast list on my hard drive, <laughs> depending on the game I'm running or the system or the setting I'm running. Uh, currently for the pirate campaign, um, I'm, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I don't know a lot of... Uh, Excel, you know, so there's a lot, there's people out there that are Excel wizards. They know all the stuff about formulas. I just use it to keep stuff organized. Yeah. Uh, you've got, I've got multiple sheets. One of them is mainlanders, which are people back on the main continent. Mm -hmm. I've got people that are part of the islands, but then I have one for the crew. Oh yeah. Because we kind of have this thing running in our pirate campaign where if you guys want to just call on one of the mooks from your own pirate crew, you are free to create canon and name them we've, and we've been just kind of canon building our own crew and it's been pretty messed up <laughs> yeah oh yeah it's been messed up it's been it's been dark but it's also been comedic it has uh, been. because it's been good. my favorite so far is uh squeaky joe who has a peg leg but he has a mop at the end of the peg he's often this swabbing he's the swabby the yeah. he's a swabby he's a swabby of the crew but he's got a peg leg mop thing yep. going on uh which has been a lot of fun but yeah my creative you know keeping track of your and keeping notes keeping good notes yep. is recommended not just for the players but also for the gm mm -hmm. as the gm if you invent a character on the fly 
dear God, write it down because you will forget it. I've, you will I've, you will forget it, but your players will remember it. Yes, and they'll be, and they're going to ask about the character, or and they're going to have no idea. Yep, you're going to be was. deer in headlights. Look, because remember the players, they don't have nearly as much to memorize as you do. They only and have to worry about one character. They have to worry about one character. So for them to... for them committing a little bit of hard drive space in their head to some of the ancillary, what you would have considered as a GM to be irrelevant NPCs, is easy. Because you also have 40 other NPCs to jam into your head. If you don't write some of this stuff down, your players are going to come back to a town they visited, and, hey, I want to go see the bartender, what's his name? And you're going to be like, who? Yeah, exactly. Write it down. <laughs> Here's another thing. Talking about, uh, as, as you say, players have to focus on their one character. Uh, having your players, some, you know, this is something you did, uh, where you would have players write a backstory before the campaign started, and then de- based on the quality of the backstory, you would award more character creation points that is in correct. Deadlands. In, in Deadlands, when you are making your character, you have a certain number of character creation points to spend. And those can be used for edges or extra attributes or a number of other things, skills, things like that. And so what I would do is I would award, like after character creation, you get five or you get bounty points to spend on stuff. So I would typically award either character creation points or bounty points if somebody gave me a good story. And the reason that this is important, and it it might seem, especially if you're kind of new to the tabletop gaming thing, it might seem slightly or slightly less relevant, but your players have to fit into your campaign. Yeah. So the more you can learn about their motivations, the better. And as a player, the more of your motivations that you can give to your GM, the more that they can fit you into the campaign. And really, this is a very gratifying thing in a tabletop game. If you're playing a character, there's a pretty good chance at some point during the campaign that your game master is going to give you a, that moment in the spotlight where like your story converges with the greater campaign to make something super cool. If you don't give the game master a backstory or at least some motivation or some drive for your character, they're going to have a really hard time building you that, that special moment. So, you know, do that. Like, know your character's motivation when you're putting it together. Even if they're just some edgelord whose, you know, dad was in a cult and... Yeah, okay, I'm sorry, we're talking about my character again. (laughs) Most importantly, tell your game master. You know, you might have invented this neat backstory, but you need to tell your game master what your intent is, what the hooks are. You know, there's a lot of times where we might be running a session and a player starts asking about a rule... And I, as the game master, have no idea what their intent is. It's like, oh, how does this work? And I don't understand why they're asking. Mm -hmm. If you just tell me what you want to attempt to accomplish, I have a better understanding of how to run the game. Mm -hmm. Tell me that your character uh, is like, oh, how does grabbing and sliding down a banner Prince of Persia style work? Uh, Well, you know, it's like I can educate that, but... If you say, I would like to slide down the banner... How's that going to work? If I would like to slide down the banner and then land on top of the Baron and capture him, then I now know what your intent Mm -hmm. is. The same goes, uh, not just mechanically, but for story purposes. If you are saying, uh, my guy is really reserved and doesn't trust people, okay, well, why is he reserved and doesn't trust people? Mm -hmm. Well, he was burned by this time he trusted a local... Uh, you know, the local blacksmith, he became real buddy-buddy with him, but then he got stabbed in the back. Well, now we've fleshed out your character a bit more. Maybe you don't even, maybe you have a tendency not to like blacksmiths. That's kind of interesting. Uh, but, and now you want revenge. You know, it's like, oh, I want to kill this guy. Why do you want to kill this yeah, guy? What, what is what is the reason for wanting to kill this guy? A game master can do a better job mastering the game if the game master understands why your characters are doing what they are trying to do. Uh, And I also want to say for anyone that is looking for inspiration, uh, don't be afraid to rip stuff off. Yeah. Like I'm just talking about pop culture and other various things, right? Like you talk, thinking about Deadlands, it's hard not to run a Deadlands game and think about like classic spaghetti Westerns. Oh yeah. I mean, every character could be as cool as Clint Eastwood if you really want to make that happen. Absolutely. Uh, And so what you should do, because if you if you know if you start a a party and your characters are 
you know, four halflings, an old wizard, a human ranger, an elf, and a, and a dwarf. A couple, and then, I don't know, was it one or two? There's, if there's nine of them running around together and they've got this ring, that's a little on the nose. Sounds like a really good party makeup. <laughs> yes, oh, yes. Somebody should make a movie about Real that. balanced. Yeah, a good 10 Especially out of 10. a trilogy movie about it. A, a whole movie three that. movies, one really long book broken up into three volumes by yeah, the publisher. We should do that. Uh, anyway... That's, you know, that's a little on the nose, but look for other inspirations. Uh, I've, I've got the five, you know, I've got the 5e player's handbook in front of me. And a lot of people, this is something I don't hear a lot of people talk about. I don't know if you even knew this. Did you know that in Appendix E of the book, they have a list of inspirational reading? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So they have all, that. they have a whole bunch of like fantasy novels that they recommend people read as inspiration. You know, I, I recommended to you uh, Glenn Cook's uh, The Black Company. Mm -hmm. It's right there. The Black it, Company. Recommended. It, is, it is on my the, Audible wish list. Yeah, right Eye now. of the World by Wheel of Time. There's an Amazon series mm -hmm. airing right now. You've got all sorts of things. Feel free as the game master or the player to borrow from pop culture and really lean into it. Put your own spin on it if you want, but you don't have to be completely original. Try to find inspiration in cool things that you enjoy. I would recommend not trying to like photocopy an existing character, right. but you can take inspiration from these. I mean, listen, we're far enough into human history that there's no such thing as an original idea anymore. It really so don't is. don't feel bad pulling inspiration from other things because I'll tell you what, I would like to shake the hand of anybody that's come up with a, an original idea in the last 50 years because it's really hard to do. All human ideas are based on what we already have in our brains, mm -hmm. right? If if we weren't doing things like that, every scientist would have to start all over, <laughs> right? Imagine imagine being a scientist, but you had to come up with uh, the theory of relativity and the law of physics on your own mm. before you were allowed to study black holes. Or... If everybody at NASA had to go back and do all the math before they learned how to build rockets, yeah. we'd have never gotten anywhere. <laughs> every... That's what, and that's one of the beautiful things about being a human is that we can stand on the shoulders of giants, the people that came before us. We've got Gary, you know, we're playing these games because Gary Gygax made the game already. We don't have to come in and invent Dungeons and Dragons. We can just play Dungeons and Dragons. Exactly. And so we've got the uh, experiences to lean on. That's why this is one of the best times to be a tabletop role-playing games player because of the internet. You have all these resources. You can go and see what other people have to share online. Feel free to use inspiration. Borrow from, ideas. Borrow ideas and make them your own. Especially if you're the game master, if you can borrow ideas that you didn't have to come with on your own and none of your players know you did it, you're going to look like a genius. <laughs> and that's okay because if you try to stress about originality, you're going to start ripping your hair out. So take that... it take it from a guy who pulls his hair out from stress. <laughs> <laughs> so, so does this mean you're going to start watching Critical Role? Oh, God. Uh, I know. I'm, I'm kind of hypocritical in that regard, isn't I? Aren't I? You know what? Um, I'll be honest. The first season of Critical Role, it was that worry. The second season, I just fell off the wagon, and then it's a lot to watch. It's, it's like three it, to four hours a week to watch it. It is great, but it is long. Yeah, exactly. Uh, season three just started a couple weeks ago. Maybe I'll try and give it a try. But yes, it, it's okay to not be completely original because if, you know, for example, I had an idea for a novel a couple years ago about uh, an, an AI gets created and ends up completing any possible creative concept like it completely like it puts together all variations of notes because theoretically like in music there's there's a finite number of notes that the humans can mm -hmm. hear that that uh, sorry the humans as i'm an alien I'm a <laughs> i uh i am a uh, meat popsicle yeah meat popsicle uh there's a finite number of notes right so don't get me wrong it'd be a long time before humans completed it but theoretically there is, there technically is a finite number of combination of notes say you're going to make a song that's three minutes long there's a there's a limited number of note combinations you could make right? eventually somebody could completely accidentally remake mozart uh, uh, exactly so and and you know what uh, i had an idea where an ai like did this and created all creative human concepts I think I read, like, a year ago, some Japanese mangaka, you know, a person that writes manga, manga yeah. uh, they, someone did that. There's now, like, a, there's now like a manga out like, there, I think, crap. that uses this somebody idea. Somebody beat some, me to somebody it. Somebody beat me to this idea. In the same vein, uh, 
I, I once thought it would be cool uh, a long, long time ago that if a fantasy world had really weird weather. Well, have you read uh, Have you read The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson? No. It's got really weird weather. <laughs> yep, and he's a fantastic author. He's the guy that finished Wheel of Time after Robert Jordan passed away. Um, but my point is that don't sweat the need to be original, but do make an effort to make it your own. Mm-hmm. If you, Your players aren't going to worry that they rescued a princess from a dragon. But you know what? Maybe the princess was the villain. You know, maybe... Oh, man. Right? You know, maybe the princess was the... Maybe the princess deserved to be in that tower. Maybe she actually enslaved the dragon. Maybe she... Yeah, maybe the dragon stuck there magically. Just know that it's okay to borrow things. And it's actually encouraged in tabletop games, especially. Absolutely. If, if you're writing... If you're writing a fantasy novel, don't name your character Frodo Baggins. But if you're playing a tabletop game, maybe you guys need to go destroy a ring in a volcano, and that's okay. Anyway, that's last call. Uh, if you have ever borrowed something from an existing piece of pop culture and used it to great effect in your games, why don't you leave us a comment if in the comments below if you have the ability. You can email us at gmspeakeasyofficial at gmail.com. We are part of the Record Button group. You can check out their other things. The uh, the Why Did I Write This podcast. There is a um, there is a very wonderful and fun Fallout-themed uh, drama podcast that is currently finished. There might be either, I've, I've got did, on... Did, didn't you do some work on that one? I too? did. I got I got to voice a super mutant. Well, technically a nightkin, if you know what that is. That was a lot of fun. Uh, but the Record Button group can be found on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Um, if you think you want to let us know about... Just, if you have ideas about what you want us to talk about, please email us. I want to hear it. I know Lance Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If, if you think my voice is annoying, you can tell me. I can take it. I've got broad shoulders. We're not going to get rid of them, though. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, unfortunately, I'm, I'm still here. There's plenty of other tabletop podcasts to listen to, but we will. But we you. want you to listen to ours. Well, yeah, but if you got enough time in the day, listen to all of them. Tabletop games are wonderful. Anyway, I digress. This has been the Game Master Speakeasy. We hope you've enjoyed your time here, and please get home safe. <laughs>